1: Va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Özil. Marca Mesut Özil. Envía al área el remate. Ahí está el primer tanto del partido. No lo celebra por supuesto.
0: Aaron Ramsey 0 a 1 para el Arsenal.
1: This is Askcast
0: Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, goodly morning to you. How's it all going?
1: It's good, yeah. Everything's fine, thank you. Goodly morning to you. It's very early in the morning where you are now.
0: It is, yeah. 630 6.30. I'm feeling a bit tired now. It's been uh, a really busy weekend because I was in Charlotte until Sunday, and yesterday uh, we drove from Charlotte, North Carolina, to Washington, D.C., and with traffic, accidents, some ridiculous weather, thunderstorms, and rain like you've never seen. It took like six and a half, maybe seven hours to get here, so uh, it's all a bit tiring, but great fun nonetheless
1: rain like you've never seen and that's an Irishman saying that so it's got to be considerable amounts of rain
0: (laughs) Jesus it was ridiculous (laughs)
1: Uh, I actually I was away all weekend at a festival latitude festival in a tent and it also rained A considerable amount I'm not going to say It rained as much as you I don't think I could compete But uh, When you're in a tent Less rain is ideal But there was still Quite a lot of rain
0: Yeah that's true I saw some of your pictures On Instagram You looked like you were Having a fantastic time Rocking the uh, Both the Arsenal home And away kit And If you don't mind me saying Some Some glitter some glitter
1: yeah I must <laughs> say I, I stuck it to Stan Cronky the only way I know how by buying both home and away shirts and uh, no they are glorious kits I have to say and I, I really 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 like them uh, someone came up to me actually who was a listener from the show I really liked this I've forgotten their name but they were like oh are you going to blog I was like yeah and it was about sort of one o'clock in the morning we are like in the woods at some sort of little mini rave and he was like I just didn't think I'd see you at a festival it just doesn't really seem like your scene <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I love that. I, I put that on top of the fact that everyone who meets me says, oh, so you're much bigger than I expected. I'm like, what is the personality I'm conveying on this podcast of this small man who stays in his own home? It doesn't, and go, it the world?
0: It doesn't go to raves in the woods.
1: not go to a <laughs> rave in the woods, yeah. I'm well, subverting it, expectations all the time.
0: Well, look, I have to tell you, I had, I had an amazing time uh, in LA. I had a brilliant time in Charlotte as well. The, uh, the, the fans down there were absolutely fantastic. And they came from not just Charlotte or North Carolina, but all over. Uh, we did an event on on Friday, a Q&A, um, which was just absolutely rammed, and it was f- packed full of people and packed full of fans who wanted to chat and talk, and it, it's brilliant. And to, to meet Arsenal fans from all over, like Canada, Pittsburgh, Denver, Houston, there was a guy from Savannah, Georgia, uh, who sounded like he was from Savannah. It was amazing. He had an incredible, nice. incredible accent. But you know what, what struck me, James, as Arsenal have come to the U- U.S. and as I've had this uh, amazing opportunity and privilege to meet so many Arsenal fans and so many listeners to this podcast. Now we've been doing this for a really long time, and I like to think that you know we're we're pretty good at what we do, and our, mm-hmm. our analysis of Arsenal is is um, not bad. I'm not going to say we're perfect, but not bad. Sure more people wanted to talk to me about magpies than anything else. <laughs> it was just like, Oh my God, magpie facts have resonated with, with, with our listeners, perhaps more than anything we've ever done. Perhaps that says something about the state of Arsenal right now, but it, it, it was really, really funny.
1: <laughs> this will always been the summer of the magpies. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not really a memorable summer for other reasons, I suppose at this point, but that's so funny. I mean, were people, what volunteering new magpie facts or just, asking you questions about magpies yeah it was and- just
0: like watch out for magpies how are the magpies right. <laughs> why, why, why did you stop the magpie facts all of that stuff um yeah it was- that's
1: going to be the new protest we <laughs> care about magpies do you <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness! Um, it was it was funny, but honestly, it was uh, amazing. I really enjoyed uh, Charlotte uh, as a city. It was smaller than LA. Uh, as you can hear, my voice is a bit uh, <clears throat> a bit on the croaky side because of all the talking I've been doing over the last uh, couple of days. Uh, so, it's
1: talking, not drinking.
0: It's definitely talking, James. I've been talking more than uh, more than I've ever talked okay. before in my entire life. <laughs> Uh, which is, you know, I, I'm right. not going to give out about it, but it, it's definitely left my voice. Uh, I need like a, uh, if I was on tour, if I was a rock star, I'd I'd throw a strop and get my tour manager to get me like honey drinks and stuff like that. But I don't have anybody uh, to do that. So <laughs> I'll have to go out and, and get it I'm myself. I'm not there. You're not it. there exactly. yet? Oh, uh, it's a shame. No, in fairness, a lot of people were asking for you as well and wondering, you know, why it was you, you weren't out. And I, I, I said, uh, you just didn't want to. No, I didn't. Just I told them, I, I told them you were preparing for your for your Edinburgh show so mm. they all understood.
1: Next time, you never know next time. For sure. And so, you've been attending games as well amidst all this talking.
0: Yes, I have. I was at the game. Uh, it was a really weird experience uh at the game against Fiorentina because uh excuse me. <coughs> I was in the press box yeah. and the press box in the Carolina Panthers stadium is, which is good for members of the press, inside. So you're in this nice air-conditioned room. You have a beautiful view of the pitch, but you're behind glass. So you can't hear any of the, the atmosphere of the game. You can't hear the fans. You can't hear the... Uh, you can't hear uh, the, just the general a- ambience, which makes it really strange to watch a game of football in that way. Um, the only thing you can hear is the pop music that they pipe in. The minute there's any kind of a break in play, the sort of pop music starts. So it was Katy Perry and Justin Timberlake and all kinds of stuff. Um, right. Before the game, there was a guy called Destroy. Destroy was the MC. And he was like, okay. he was this, he was like, come on, you guys, make some noise, come on, I want to see your hands in the air, come on. And he you know, this stadium, um, this eighty thousand seater stadium was, uh, it wasn't full. There was about thirty five thousand people there, which is a great crowd. But when I say it was ninety nine point nine 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 percent Arsenal fans, I may be doing it, uh, understating it slightly. So he's, right. doing, he's doing his warm up. And he's going, come on, let's get ready Time to town and make some noise, you guys. All right, you F- Fiorentina fans, come on, where are you? Where are you? I want to see you. And it's like, you look around, it's like, no, there's no, yeah. there's no Fiorentina fans here. There's none of them. Um, there might have been one or two. I think there might have um, sought out one or two. And then they would do strange stuff, like uh, when there was a corner kick, the stadium announcer would announce it. It was really odd. Really? So, yeah, Which- he, he, he'd go like, Corner kick Arsenal, taken by number 24, Reese Nelson. And, you know, they'd announce yellow cards, and it was yellow card caution for Arsenal. Joe Willock, or whoever it was that got booked, I can't remember. Wow. But the minute there was any kind of break in play, they would pipe this, like, uh, insane pop music into the press box. So not only Mm -hmm. could you not hear what was going on outside, you were being bombarded with this... uh, this music, and it was it was just a really strange experience. Um, you don't get—I don't know if you get—a different sense of the game because it's like just watching your TV with the sound down while someone's you know got the radio on beside you, uh, right. you know on BBC Radio One or playing the Top Forty. It was quite odd.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that must have really influenced the atmosphere, I guess. Yeah, but. Uh, the game itself, I mean, positive <coughs> signs. I mean, that's the weird thing, isn't it? Mm. For all our concerns about preseason, season the, the actual performances on the pitch have sort of been all right thus far.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, we won against Bayern Munich, and there was, there was plenty to like about that. Um, yeah. we, we obviously beat Fiorentina 3-0, and there were some really, uh, I think, standout performances. I, I enjoyed Eddie Nketiah, of course. He got his two goals. Mm-hmm. But Kai Saka I thought was was really good. I like it wasn't so much that he was effective, but I liked the way he tries to play. You know, he's strong, he wants to get involved, he'll use his strength and his body to to protect the ball. Um I thought Lacazette when he came on was was really excellent. He he was very selfless, obviously, creating two goals for uh one for Enkedti and one for Joe Willock. Um What else? Joe Willock himself, when he came on, another impressive display. Um, You know, so there were things to, things to take away from, from the game against Fiorentina. Obviously, we started with a back three, Mm. which I think vexed a few people. Uh, And I asked Unai Emery about this in his press conference afterwards. I asked him if he had a preference himself for a back four or a back three, which was his preference. And I asked him, as well, was any potential transfer business um, going to influence, you know, his preferred formation?
1: Yes, sensible questions. What did Unai respond?
0: Uh, good evening. Yeah. Um, and then he talked about playing with Nacho Monreal. Sometimes as a center-half how he can do it in a back three, but he can't do it in a back four Which you know, it's perfectly reasonable, but it wasn't wasn't what I asked Um, And I think towards the end of the question he sort of said That he wanted to improve Kalasinach and Maitland-Niles as fullbacks because that's uh, a formation that we're going to use that formation being a back four that's kind of what I think I thought he said but it's quite yeah. difficult. So he wasn't really very clear on on that, but I'm hoping that the back four becomes our our default uh system, but of course yeah. there, there are issues there as we know with Koscielny and I watched I I sort of watched Mustafi with I don't know how to describe my feelings
1: well, tell me, because I've only seen the highlights, so I've not seen the lowlights. So I, I well, haven't seen the, Mustafi's moments.
0: Fiorentina had a, a striker called Vlavić, I think, Dusan Vlavic, yeah. who was really quite dangerous, probably should have scored a couple of goals. Uh, there was one great chance in particular, which he just put wide. But, you know, positionally, Mustafi is kind of all over the place. Now, to be fair, he did play against Bayern Munich, um, and then was one of the only senior players involved in the game against Fiorentina as well, because we we have a shortage of centre-halves uh, at the moment. So, you know, he could have been tired, but it was just the sort of performance where you look and you go, this guy, you know, he's kind of coasting. That was my sense of Mustafa. He's just kind of coasting through, uh, through the game. He looks comfortable in the sense that he knows we've got a shortage of centre-halves, and that he's likely to be playing. Um, and I don't, think it's, I don't think it's an ideal situation for us because I think we would all prefer less Mustafi.
1: Mm. Mm. I think that's fair. <laughs> we, we would all prefer less Mustafi, but doesn't it feel a bit like the way things are defensively mm. with Koscielny you know, headed towards the exit door and Saliba a year away from the entry door? We're looking at more Mustafa, maybe. We are at this moment in time because we've got Rob Holding, uh,
0: who's still a little bit away from full fitness. We've got Callum Chambers. And then we've got the ability to play a back three and use someone like Nacho Monreal in there. So a defensive recruitment uh, is urgent, I would suggest, particularly if things are going to go the way we expect them to go with with Koscielny.
1: Mm. So... Well, Raul Sanyehi has reportedly flown home from the States. Uh, I can't confirm that myself, but there was a, I saw a story saying that he's come back in order to help tie up transfer business. I mean, the, the, the whispers are that they expect movement this week at Arsenal. Right. Uh, that they expect to get some stuff over the line. I mean, the names won't surprise anybody. It's people like Kieran Tierney, uh, Ceballos from Real Madrid... That's an intriguing signing potentially, isn't it?
0: It is. He's a he's a good player. He is a good player. Yeah. And I was sort of speaking to people out here, and there is an expectation that the the two sets of officials, given that we're both in Washington, D.C., could meet this week and have a good chat about Danny Ceballos. Mm. You know, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, where we suggested that because of our limited budget, using the loan market would be a, a fairly sensible way of of, of b- bolstering the squad. Mm-hmm. So if we can get this guy on loan, put him in the midfield, um you know we've obviously got Joe Willock coming through, Alex Iwobi is coming back, Elneny is coming back, Lucas Torreira will be coming back. You know, it does add some depth in there. Um so yeah, I'm I'm kind of intrigued about that one uh but it, it sort of feels like, yes, we, we really need to get our skates on a bit.
1: Yeah, we do. I mean, I think someone asked a while ago, when can I start panicking? And I feel like maybe it was today that I said, that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, by my own measure, I should be really worried at this point, but you know, there's, there is still a little bit of time. I, I just can't quite, can't quite see how the pieces are going to fall into place. And I think, I suppose the only advantage for that is for the young players who, while this uncertainty remains over transfers, are getting the opportunity to impress and for the most part doing so. I mean, you spoke about Eddie Nketiah. He can't really do much more than he's been doing in pre-season so far. That's
0: true. And he was asked, Emery was asked uh, quite specifically about him in the press conference after the, the game against Fiorentina and what the plan was for him. And he basically said, look, there's a place in the squad for Eddie Nketiah, particularly now that Danny Welbeck has gone, he sort of uh, earmarked his place in the squad for Nketiah. He wants he wants him to stay. He wants him to fight for his place. There was a suggestion maybe that he wouldn't get enough football. Uh, Emery was saying no. Look, you know, when we had Welbeck, when we had Aubameyang, when we had Lacazette last season, they all played, so there was room for for uh, for all three strikers. And I think that's that's the um, yeah, that's the the situation with Incudia. Is I, I think that he's going to stay, and Emery looks like he he wants him to stay. Um, and like you say, he he really can't do much more on this tour to to knock on the manager's door and say, look, I'm ready. I'm ready to to play games for the first team.
1: Yeah, I really liked his first goal against Fiorentina, just the composure of the little drag back in the box and the finish into the far corner. And I like that when he does step up and when he does play with the first team, I know these are pre-season friendlies, but I think it was evident from that first brace against Norwich, he he does have a lot of personality. And, you know, he's small in stature, but he's a, a big... Character, and I think that that stands him in pretty good stead. He seems to fit in mm. quite well with that first team group. Well, I
0: tell you what, as well though, there's there's definitely been a a physical maturing as well. He's developed physically, really? yeah. In the game against Bayern, uh, there was a moment where he was up against a centre half who was probably six foot three, six foot four. Maybe someone of the size of Christian Bielik, that kind of uh, that kind of build. Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Sula, maybe, um, right. could have been his name. And there was a sort of coming together. You know where the two players just kind of bash off each other. Yeah. Um, what what you might have considered like a good old fashioned shoulder charge type situation, and Enketia came out on top in that situation and there was another moment near the corner flag where again he used his body and he used his strength to barge a defender out of the way on that occasion he was penalized but there's definitely been some kind of um physical development there as well which might make him more ready uh, for first team football in the premier league and beyond
1: yeah, I mean, look, his height gets brought into the discussion a lot, but it's perfectly possible to be not the tallest player, but strong on the ball. And, you know, I mean, look at someone like N'Golo Kanta. You know, he dominates midfield yeah. despite despite his height. So I think that's really positive that you're seeing that sort of thing for Eddie Nketiah because he's always had technique. He's always had finishing ability. And one thing I must say that I did enjoy um, in that win over Fiorentina was I liked Alex Lacazette's little layoff to Enketia for yeah. that. The goal I mean he actually created goals for both Inketia and Willock and that looked to me like a player kind of sort of a, assuming some seniority and you know he could have taken those opportunities on himself but look for the younger man and I, f- I felt like that was a, a nice touch from him really
0: yeah yeah it was good it was very selfless very selfless he could have had a go himself but he, he made sure that the young players had got their goals and, and Joe Willock um when he came on, he really added some drive and dynamism to to the midfield. We did change our formation a bit as well uh, in the second half. We went to a back four against Fiorentina. Willock has, has some real personality about him. He really does. He He was determined to drive at the... At the Fiorentina defense, and this you know, I know we've we've talked about the need to replace Aaron Ramsey and how do you find a player like Aaron Ramsey? How do you get another guy who is um, good at, at, at the midfield job, but also someone who can get into the box and score goals? And the more I look at Joe Willick, the more I think this could be the guy. This could wow. be the guy because he does have the ability to not only um, use the ball well in midfield. I thought he was really, really assured against Bayern Munich in, in L.A. But he has this knack of getting into the box and getting into the box at the right time. You know, we saw him score goals last season for the first team, albeit in, in cup games. Mm. But the, the goal he scored against um, against Fiorentina, he's in the box He's overlapping, and it's uh, you know it's a left-footed shot as well. I think that's something we've got to we've got to uh, mark down too, because um, you know he's a right-footed player, finished beautifully with his left foot. So he does have this ability to arrive late and and to to score goals. So look, I'm not saying he can come in and play thirty five Premier League games and do potentially what Aaron Ramsey did, but the raw ingredients appear to be there.
1: Yeah, and even if you think back to the Europa League final and his cameo there, he had that chance where, again, he went beyond the striker. And you have to say, he sort of Mm. did everything right. Opened his body, bent it towards the far corner, missed out by half a yard. So I think he he does appear to be a player who's got that movement and got that composure in those key areas that I think were really key facets of Ramsey's game. I mean, it's interesting against Bayern, he, he was in a deeper role wasn't he like playing more yeah. as a, a traditional central midfielder and then against fiorentina was he more advanced than that
0: maybe because what we did against fiorentina in the second half was play a something like a a 4132 formation with right. lacazette and uh Lacazette and Incey up front. I can't remember who Willick came on for because we made such a, a host of changes in the second half. I think we might have mm-hmm. made ten substitutions in the second half, so it was kind of hard to. It was kind of hard to uh, keep, keep track. track, and and you know it was a really really hot day. It was uh, you know thirty five degrees out there, and the game was being played at a, a fairly slow pace the the two guys um who who started in central midfield, Robbie Burton and oh this guy's name I can't I it's I've got like a mental block with this Ola Inca. guy. Olainka, that's it. Yeah. Um they were good. I mean they weren't bad at all. Um but there was just something there was just something extra with Joe Willock. I don't know how to uh describe it more than that, but yeah. you know just something he's a bit more advanced.
1: He is, and he's just been through a, a really good 12 months, I think, sort of physically and technically in his development. It's interesting, isn't it, that there are names on this tour that you know we haven't really discussed before. You mm. know, Robbie Burton's a good example of someone who, I think Unai Emery himself said he didn't really know a lot about him. Freddie Unberg spoke to him about his credentials, told him he's a useful player, can play number six, number eight, and suddenly he's out there with the first team in developing and often in youth development it is sometimes these guys who come up on the inside that you're not necessarily anticipating that that uh, can really impress
0: yeah so uh, this week uh, our, we're playing Real Madrid or tomorrow yeah. we're playing Real Madrid in uh, Landover in Maryland so that's going to be interesting as well um, Zin- Zinedine Zidane and Gareth Bale having their fun times together
1: um, yeah, yeah I mean that's a curious situation I mean I suppose it's not unlike a situation we've kind of had at Arsenal uh, with Mesut Ozil and Unai Emery in terms of trying to potentially move somebody on who yeah. isn't desperate to go.
0: Well, I tell you um, what, the, the fans out here really love Mesut Ozil because, you know, the few, the few times we could hear anything were when uh, the, the crowd really got worked up and, you know, when Ozil, Aubameyang, et etc., et cetera, went to work, Xhaka and a few of the other senior players went to warm up in the first half. There were, there were really big cheers and I was in the, in the tunnel, in the mix zone, afterwards, and Ozil came in after doing a bit of a, a wind down, and the fans were going crazy for him. And it, it does appear as if things between himself and Unai Emery are are much more um, even, perhaps um, cordial. But, yeah, cordial. And and look, this goes back, I think, to the to the formation that we use if we're if we're playing a back four. And if we're playing maybe a a 4-1-3-2 or even a 4-2-1, whatever the fuck, I can't remember what numbers are. Uh, It's too early. But there's obviously an easier way to get Ozil into the team when you're playing with a back four than with a back three. So that's why I was really curious to sort of nail down Emery on on what his preference was. I didn't get the answer, you know, quite uh, as clearly as I I would have liked. But it does feel as if, uh, you know, Ozil and Emery are kind of on the same wavelength and if we are to um, do anything successful next season if we can get the best out of Mesut Ozil or anywhere approaching the best out of Mesut Ozil, I think we've got a we've got a greater chance of achieving what we want to achieve
1: and how's he looked out on the pitch has he looked sharp I'm not referring to his
0: hairstyle. But... <laughs> no. Um, he's, he stands out, obviously, because of the hairstyle. He, I thought he was really, really good against Bayern Munich. I thought he was yeah. really good. Uh, the three players that stood out for me against Bayern were Joe Willock, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, was amazing. Unbelievable.
0: Like, we were at the training the night before the Bayern game, and about 10 minutes in, Aubameyang was left in a heap of... On the floor, he was in like quite a lot of pain. Um, I'm not quite sure what happened. It could have been a tackle or a little bit of a, an, an ankle roll or something like that, but he got some treatment and he carried on with the session. And against Bayern... It was just amazing to watch him that early in preseason as well, running the way he did, being as direct as he was. The pace and the power and the athleticism of him was was incredible to watch because he did it for like 80 minutes. And and Ozil, as well against Bayern, was, was fantastic. He made a lot of runs that we didn't necessarily spot or we didn't have the ability to play the pass that the run deserved, if you like. And if we had, I think he would have been even more involved against Byron. So I was really impressed by his by his showing against Byron. It was hard to know really what to make of anyone's performance against Fiorentina Ozil came on with about 10 or 12 minutes to go and he was fine, but it was, you know, it was a roasting hot day. The game was basically won um, by the time he came on and, you know, you can't really make any assessments, but, you know, he looks, he looks fit. He looks sharp and, you know, hopefully he looks up for it. And maybe the the idea that he's going to be more involved in a position in which he feels really comfortable uh, could be, uh, I'm a big motivator for him, perhaps.
1: Yeah, definitely. And look, g- given the situation, given that I think a move isn't going to happen and that's perfectly clear from the outside, what are you going to do? You can't just have an asset that you're paying that kind of money that you discard or, you know, relegate to the fringes of the squad. You have to try and make it work. And I do think in the right system, there is still a very talented player there as, as for Aubameyang, You know, we spend so much time worrying about his aging process. It doesn't appear to be affecting him physically too much at this stage.
0: No, it really doesn't. And, you know, a lot of people have been asking are we going to cash in? This summer on Yang, are we going to sell him? Because you know, apparently there's been talk of interest from from Manchester United. Uh, it would be the stupidest thing we could do this summer, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, even if we do need to raise some money, that's not the way to do it. He looks he looks really really up for it, Obameyang. Um, And if he can sort of play the way he did against Bayern, against Premier League teams, he's going to cause them all kinds of problems. And it's interesting because he was playing from the right rather than as the main striker. Like I said, I had a kind of quiet game against Bayern Munich, but um, if Aubameyang can do that from the right-hand side, then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very promising.
1: Do you... I don't know if it's just something I'm picking up on from a couple of things Emery said in press conference. He's mentioned... Uh, I think it was when I asked about Nketiah, he's mentioned Aubameyang playing wide, I think, a couple of times already in pre-season. And obviously he started there against Bayern. Do you get the impression at all that he might uh, look to do that a bit more next season? Just because, you know, if he wants to go back to a bat four, it might be a way of including Lacazette and Aubameyang in the starting eleven as he did at the start of last season.
0: Yeah, it might well be. I Look, it's it's hard sometimes to really get the true meaning of what Emery yeah, says <laughs> in his press conferences. And that, that's not to be critical, but he he tends to sort of go off on a slight tangent um, or whether it's, you know, linguistically, he can't really address questions quite as directly as you might like. But when you look at the, the players that we have, when you look at the squad that we have and the key performers and the, the, the players who you would consider really important for the team, Aubameyang and Lacazette, are obviously two of them, and we saw that towards the end of last season. I wouldn't be surprised if we did see Aubameyang quite regularly from wide positions, and I thought it was interesting that he was working from the right-hand side mm. against Bayern rather than the left-hand side, which is where he's normally deployed as a, uh, if he's being used wide. You know, so maybe mm-hmm. there is some some uh, method to the madness there or, or Emery is, is trying stuff out.
1: Yeah, maybe. I suppose it's interesting as well in the context that we don't have an obvious candidate to start at right wing necessarily. You know, it's sort of Henrik Mkhitaryan, maybe, uh, but he can be in and out as we know. It. And also we're talking about Wilfred Zaha, potentially, who plays frequently off the left. So. You know, I'm not saying that deal's gonna happen, but the fact they were looking at him suggests that maybe there is yeah. something in this Aubameyang on the right thing. I think it I think we might see a fair bit of it next year. And I know people have their issues with Aubameyang on the flank, but if it means, you know, switching to a back four and it means that you can get both Lacazette and Aubameyang on the field in a balanced formation, I don't think it's gonna stop him scoring goals. It never really has. No. No, I
0: mean, he has scored goals from from wide positions. I've woken up this morning and there appears to be quite a bit of Zaha chatter that I haven't been able to get to the bottom of. So can you tell uh, me what's going I'm on aware, there?
1: As far as I'm aware, it's that there's talk of a, a new bid of £55 million pounds, um, plus possibly Reese Nelson on loan for a season. That's, right. uh, that's the rumour that I've seen going around on Twitter. I don't know... Uh, here you go the independent is the original source has most recently suggested a 55 million deal with 10 million of that dependent on clauses as well as Reece Nelson on loan hmm. Palliser believes consider that not enough um, you know that sounds not bad to me I think, yeah, well, in yeah for who for who well
0: in terms of what I would see Zaha's value as uh, I know Palace obviously, you know, value him higher than that, but realistically, you know, I I would suggest that 55 million pounds plus Reese Nelson on loan is not is about right. That would be about my limit for for Zaha. Um, I know well, the there was value. talk uh, there was talk of Emil Smith Rowe being included as well. Uh, people have spoken to him over the weekend. Uh, we're talking about uh Smith Rowe as somebody who might go on loan but he, he's just coming back from from injury he just started training again so I'm not he's sure how America, ready he isn't would be it? he is he is he's, i saw him in I saw him in the uh in the tunnel uh after the Fiorentina game, uh, the Arsenal, you know, contingent were, were hanging around there. He wasn't. He wasn't involved. He wasn't doing any training. But I believe he's just started back in training. Uh, their first session in in DC, so he probably won't be ready. Reese Nelson. I was I was interested to watch him against uh, Fiorentina, and he didn't really, he didn't really stand out. Um, right. So, I know we've got a lot of high hopes for him, but. Maybe a season on loan somewhere could be the right thing. And if it helps get Zaha, maybe the club are willing to do that.
1: Well, if you were to bring someone in like Zaha, it would directly impact the amount of playing time Nelson would get. So it kind of makes sense. I mean, it would arguably be a good next step in his development to to play for a Premier League team for a season. I mean, I, I think I'm on record saying I think he'll be part of the first team next season but you know if Zaha comes in there is a certain logic to that and also that loan you know that would have a loan fee attached ordinarily which would be worth you know a couple of million quid so Mm. I I think I agree with you that that's you know I can understand to a certain extent Palace's turning their nose up at 40 million even if I don't think it's a a ridiculous offer on Arsenal's behalf but obviously it's a big gap in their between that and their valuation, but fifty-five plus a player on loan feels like a potential compromise. And I think I agree with you in that that's getting close to the ceiling of what I could see us paying for for any player.
0: Really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, you know, we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see what this um, what this week brings. Um, whether or not there's going to be any deals. Is there anything else we need to talk about in the first part of the show? Um,
1: I'm just trying to think. I mean, because so much has happened, we've played three games since you and I last spoke. So yeah. uh, I'm just trying to scroll back through my. I mean,
0: obviously, the, uh, Edu is there now, and he's having a bit of an, an influence, and uh, yeah, people has are he saying done he's, any?
1: he's. Oh, go on. He's people done. He
0: did an an interview, didn't he, with the the official website? But people are saying he's like really impressive really impressive in terms of uh, the way he talks about the job that he does and it's not just you know ex-player platitudes kind of stuff he, he's been quite impressive in, in the way that he's addressed uh, certain issues um,
1: oh I know what I on. wanted to ask you about Spe- speaking of hearing from people obviously since you and I last spoke we have heard something from KSE and, and Josh Cronky, and I just wondered what your reaction to that was to his letter to the fans and and what the reaction to that has been out in the States has it been sort of warmly received by the fans you've met or is there a bit of cynicism there
0: I think there's a bit of cynicism in the sense that you know we got a response and I think that's fantastic you know for 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 the thing to have gone out and for there to have been a response um, so quickly I think can only be a positive thing that if it opens up lines of communication then then fantastic the sense I get from people out here people I've been talking to and my own feeling on it is I've kind of had enough of words and I know that that's really the only thing he can do is to respond uh, in in that style Uh, he talked about transfers didn't he he said that we should be excited um, which reminded me of the Ivan Gazidis we can do some things which would excite you quote from a few years ago Um, it's now about making the words into actions, putting things mm. in place, like tangible, genuine things we can look at and say, yes, okay, you've responded with words, but now respond with actions. And I think that's kind of where most of the people I've, I've spoken to uh, are. You know, we're happy for the response. Um, we're glad that there has been an acknowledgement of, of fans' concerns and uh, disenchantment with the way things have been going but now it's down to, to them to, to make things happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's telling that it's Josh who, oh, who yeah. made the statement rather than Stan. You oh know? yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, when he said, what did he say? You know, when, when, when I speak, I speak on behalf of my father and I speak on behalf of KSE or whatever it is. And to me, that's very, very clear. You know, I'm the guy. I'm the one that's going to be doing the talking. You're not going to hear from Stan. I don't think we're going to hear anything from Stan. Not that we necessarily expected to, but if Josh has now put himself in the position of figurehead, uh, you know, then then he is the one uh, who's got to be held to account. So yeah, I think I thought that was interesting too.
1: Yeah, and you know, Stan, with respect, he's seventy-one years old. You know, Josh is the. The future of ksc and consequently the future of arsenal in the short term at least so i, I agree with you i think it's good that the, the dialogue has opened up and that will continue there's a QA with some supporters i think uh, not too far away i think it's on uh, the 25th is it 25th yeah, yeah i believe so so that'll be interesting to see what comes out of that um and of course josh says all the right things and you know they have always said the right things in fairness but i think it's about showing us not telling us at this point yeah exactly
0: exactly all right well look we're going to leave it there for part one we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArseBlog. Also on the ArseBlog Facebook page, but not this week because I'm traveling and it's too hard to keep track of, so apologies, Facebook. Uh, and also on the ArseBlog Patreon Discord server. It's a chat server you get access to if you are an ArseBlog member on Patreon. And if you are, you can follow my exclusive US tour diary on there. If you're not already a member, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash ArseBlog. It costs just a fiver a month. And you get access to all the extra stuff uh, immediately and what have you. And I'm going to take the first question, James, uh, from the Discord. Uh, I know we touched on it slightly, but it comes from Greenfoot. And he says, to use a classic Wengerism, does signing Zaha or Everton kill Nelson?
1: Hmm. I have to say, by the way, the name Everton keeps confusing me. Every time I see it from the timeline, I'm like, what? We're trying to buy the club? from uzman what's going on now but, um, uh, <laughs>
0: he'd never sell it... to us
1: <laughs> no i know <laughs> famously he um ah uh, does it kill nelson i don't think so no i don't think so i think that how old is everton zaha is 26. Mm. uh everton i think is slightly younger he's 20. um I can't quite figure out this Everton story because if you listen to some reports in Brazil, we've got, you know, doctors on standby to do a medical. Yeah, uh, I don't think I don't, that's... I, I don't. don't know how credible that is, to be honest with you. Um, especially because the Zaha story is still rumbling on. I don't really foresee a situation where Arsenal sign both those players, do you? No, definitely not. I agree. Uh, I don't think it should kill Nelson. I think if Nelson... You know, There's there's plenty of time for Nelson to develop and if that happens over the next couple of years rather than the next couple of months I think that's okay uh, and I think his talent we've seen before we know he's a substantially talented player I think if he can master that and develop properly that will out in the end and You know, the way that we're talking about playing, 4 2 3 1, something like that, there's room for multiple Mm. players who play off the strikers on either flank or even as a number 10. I think Nelson's future ultimately might be in the centre. So, uh, no, I don't particularly worry about it, do you? No,
0: not really. Um, we, regardless of of who we've got coming through, I think everybody wants us to sign a player who can play wide and add something different to to the team in terms of you know dribbling ability, being able to run at defenses and and everything else. The thing to consider is Reece Nelson is still quite young. He had quite a good season at Hoffenheim in terms of what he produced. Uh, On the pitch, you know, he scored seven or eight goals, whatever it was, and he had that amazing uh, run at the start of his loan spell there. But he didn't play every week. He didn't play week in, week out. He didn't start games week in, week out for Hoffenheim. And we can probably read something into that in terms of how ready he is. There were a number of issues um, with with the coach sort of telling him, look, You know, you're going to have to work harder or be a bit more professional or, or, you know, he wasn't like a fixture in the Hoffenheim team. So I think the idea of him coming back to Arsenal after a season and being immediately ready to start week in, week out in the Premier League is a bit fanciful. So when you consider that he signed a new deal before he went to Hoffenheim, he He's in no danger of being somebody who could slip out of our clutches if you like so there's mm-hmm. we've got that assurance of a long contract with him and if he goes and plays a season on loan at another Premier League club and you know improves and does better and matures physically and becomes a you know a more rounded player by playing in the Premier League next season for somebody else I don't see that that does his chances of making it. Uh, at Arsenal any harm whatsoever. It probably would increase those chances. You know, conversely, you could say he could stay with us and he could play Europa League games and, and everything else, but it depends, you know, what, what, the, what the long-term view of Reese Nelson is. So I, I don't see how a signing would really uh, kill him. It would make his job maybe a little bit more difficult, but that's a good thing. I think that could be a good thing.
1: Well, let's let's build on this question because 1.76 acres on Twitter says, mm. considering we now have what looks like a great depth of potential up front and wide, and then he lists Eddie Nketiah, Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe, Reese Nelson and Martinelli, without even considering Zaha, how do we develop everyone? Who goes out on loan? Who stays? How does everyone get time? And I think it's a fair question. I don't think all those young players are going to get sufficient playing time this season? I, I think that's,
0: yeah, it is a good question. I don't know how you develop all of them. I don't think you can keep them all. This season, I think a couple of them could go out on loan. When you look at Martinelli, he had an amazing chance in the Fiorentina game. He was through on goal and uh, it looked easier to score. He put it wide and he was absolutely disgusted with himself uh, that he missed the chance. Um, I think when you, you've signed a player like that, uh, he's probably more likely to stay you know, particularly as he's getting to uh, adapt to England and English football yeah. and, and everything else, it feels more sensible to keep him in house, so you can accommodate him and 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 make that more comfortable for him. Uh, you know, that, that settling in period rather than just imagine like signing a kid from Brazil and then shipping him out on loan to to wherever. You know, that would make his life an awful lot more difficult. So, I feel like probably Nelson. And maybe even Smith Rowe could go out on loan. Uh, and Nketiah, we spoke about him earlier and the, the, uh, the desire of Emery to keep him to sort of fill that Danny Welbeck place in the squad. So uh, I, I think it's inevitable that you, you develop some of these players um, elsewhere. And that's, that's the only way to do it. And it depends on how they, how they view the potential of these players and what, what the, the, the best next step for them is. Is it to play occasionally for Arsenal or regularly somewhere else? That's the mm. balance.
1: Yeah, I think your point on Martinelli is a good one. You know, he's just arrived in this continent. And, you know, we, we saw in the past with the likes of Wellington Silva, Joel Campbell. I'm not sure how well it ever served those guys. The fact that they had to go out on loan straight away because of work permit problems and couldn't really build up a base at Arsenal. I think he will stick around. I think Eddie Nketiah will stick around. I just have a feeling that Emil Smith Rowe will go out on loan. His loan spell for the second half of last season was ultimately a bit of a non starter uh, in terms of the injury that he was dealing with in his time there. And I feel like they sent him there for a reason. You know, they sent him there because they want him to get that game time. And I feel like that might be the case again mm. this summer. But Kai Osaka is an interesting one. I mean, I know he's younger than Nelson and younger than Smith Rowe, I believe. But in some ways he he seems almost more first team ready and it's it's difficult to explain why but just whenever I see him he has such explosiveness when he plays that Mm. you know there's something about it that just seems to click every time he steps into the first team he never seems to look out of place and I think maybe of this whole clutch of youngsters he's sort of the one who is the most eye-catching game to game in terms of what he contributes to to my mind anyway
0: Yeah you, you know when you see a player on the pitch and you you can immediately get a uh, a sense of their their personality like their football personality we, we don't know what they're like you know off the pitch uh, and that's not, it's not about that but it's about the way they try and play the game and Saka is such a positive player mm. you know he wants the ball he wants to bring others into play he wants to run at people he wants to track back and take them on he's he's willing to do his defensive work you know it doesn't all come off for him because he's still quite young and still raw but the, 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 the intent to play in a positive way is there. And that's, I think, the most impressive thing about Saka for me. You know, if he can, if he can marry that with um, what he needs to do with the ball, then I think there's a real player there. Um, I, I would be inclined to, to keep him and use him in, in Europa League games and, and what have you. Um, and maybe think about giving him a loan in the second half of the season. Uh, that will be my preference with, with Saka. Um, so yeah, look, you know these these players are all there and they're kind of knocking on the door. Some of them louder than others. Um, and we'll, well, you know, Emery is obviously going to have to make his mind up uh, over the over the the coming weeks before the transfer window closes as to who he wants to keep. So it'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah. For sure. All right. Uh, I th- is it my question? I think it is.
1: It is your question.
0: Um, okay. Let me see. This one comes from David Mortimer on Twitter, who is at David Mortimer 30, who says, is the whole five captains thing symptomatic of a club that is a chronic lack of direction right now? Call me old fashioned, but I think we should just have one captain, someone who embodies the values of the club on and off the pitch. And I think it should be Hector Bellerin. That's what David said. Uh, Top Goon, who's at Kieran H, also says, who at this stage do you think the five captains are going to be next season? And Emery was asked about this uh, at one of his press conferences. You know, are you going to keep this this sort of five captains thing going? And he he basically said yes. Mm. Mm.
1: Mm. I mean... I could understand it in his first season because it seemed like an obvious way to get everybody on side and you know build a kind of support group within the group. Uh, it's difficult to argue that it worked particularly well, especially when you look at the five captains themselves and the way things kind of played out for them. I mean, it does, doesn't does look like a massively successful policy. Equally, in the absence of Laurent Koscielny, I'm not sure there is... One outstanding candidate to be the captain. So, yeah, maybe it's not the worst possible thing. i I would also like Hector Bellerin almost sort of for ideological reasons. You know, I kind of believe that he embodies a lot of the the values of the club in some ways. Um, and he just seems like a good guy. But I can understand maybe why, especially with the burden on him of just coming back from uh, a very significant injury, it might not be sensible to just you know, hand it to him he's not available at the yeah. start of the season to begin with.
0: It's it's a it is a tricky one because I think when you look at the squad and when you look at the profile of the players, the most obvious candidate for me is Granite Xhaka.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: Um but I also feel like if you give Granite Jacca the captain's armband, you're sort of handcuffing yourself to him in a way that maybe isn't the right decision from a footballing point of view. Does that make sense? Like you can see, because he's captain his country, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's 26, 27 years of age. He is, whether people like it or not, a kind of, uh, he is that kind of leader uh, in terms of his own personality, I was talking to a few of the, the journalists. James Benj in particular, out here from Football London, and we were talking about this, and he said that like Jacka is one of the only players who will ever front up after a game and chat to the media and That's take true, some yeah. responsibility, even when things go wrong. And we can talk about Jacka's own role in that. You know, he, he's he has his he has his terrible moments, which frustrate us. Um but in terms of just, you know, personality of the of the man, I think Xhaka is the obvious candidate. But my concern about that is I I'd sort of like our midfield to go in a in a slightly different direction. Like if, if Xhaka is your captain, is there not like a, a slight pressure or or an onus on the manager to pick him, week in, week out? And does that then affect the decision making when it comes to team building. Do you know what I mean about this?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, the only thing I would say is that, obviously, you know, Meza Ozil and Petr Cech were among the five captains last season and Emery didn't feel particularly wedded to them at any point. So, I think if you make him captain on his own in isolation, then yes, I think you are slightly wedded to that. Uh, but if he's one of the five... I don't think it presents as much of a problem.
0: Yeah, I, I, if we are going to do this five thing, which I don't really agree with either. And and uh, the other thing to point out here is that, you know, I, I think if you do have an outstanding candidate to be captain, it makes mm-hmm. it easier to have one captain. So if you have a Tony Adams or if you have a Patrick Vieira or even a Mikel Arteta type figure in the squad then it's easy to have one captain because that person has the leadership and has the the respect and uh, and garners the respect from the rest of the squad. I'm not sure we'd really have that one guy who's head and shoulders above the rest. I agree with you about Hector Bellerin. I think he represents the club brilliantly. Um, but I don't know that he's quite that senior figure to whom all the other players would, would look up to in a way. Yeah. And, and maybe... You know, his personality being what it is, and uh, it's one that I like a great deal, is it necessarily one of of leadership. It could well be as he gets older. Um, But I don't think we have just yet that talismanic captain that everybody wants. And the reason is, is they're very rare. They're really hard to come by. You know, if you could have a Tony Adams in your team, every team would have one, you know? So we, we don't quite have that. So for next season... Slightly fudging the issue, as much as I don't really dig this five captains thing, it might just be a way of, of creating a, a a group which uh, looks for uh, responsibility from the other players. And I think it'll be Xhaka, I think it'll be Ozil, just because of mm. seniority. The two strikers, Lacazette and Aubameyang, I think they'll be involved potentially Nacho Monreal if he's if he's still around and I think Emery said something about having an English component to that captain group and if that's the case then I think Rob Holding could
1: be uh, one of those it kind of has to be doesn't it I mean beyond that you know you're looking at youngsters Callum Chambers I think it it probably has to be Rob Holding if he wants an English player in there. Mm. I think the point about Bellerin is fair. I mean, as much as we might want him to be captain, there are some big egos in this squad. You know, you think of stars like Ozil or Bamiang and you need someone who can kind of command the respect, you know, command authority in that group and in that company. Um, And maybe Bellerin's not quite at that level yet. Uh, So I think, yes, I think uh, Ozil... Shaka Holding if he wants an English player Mm. Um, I think I would then probably go uh, Lacazette and Monreal Mm. for me it's no slight on Aubameyang I just feel like you know he's a different kind of character within the team to a leader maybe but yeah, you know, he's very well liked. So yeah. he definitely will be under consideration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and again, just to sort
0: of clarify, I, I wouldn't necessarily consider Ozil a uh, a captain type figure. You know, I don't think it's his personality at all. Um, but I think if he was part of the five captains group last season and some fences have been mended with Unai Emery and, and what have you. I think if you take it away, it's, it creates an issue that maybe we don't need.
1: Exactly. And, you know, <laughs> why would you draw attention to that problem, you know, and create an issue right. unnecessarily? If, if, if Ozil is going to stay, you know, to a certain extent, bridges, bridges have to be built and, you know, you don't want to burn them down by removing him as one of the captains. And also, at the end of the day, he's a guy who's thirty, who's won the World Cup, who's very, very experienced. You know, there are things about us that you would want within that group, uh, and that we're not necessarily rich with. So, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, okay. um, your question my question uh let's find it now we've actually already had a question from this person so apologies for doubling up on greenfoot on the discord but greenfoot asked good morning gents what was your takeaway from the sven Misslentat interview my initial feeling was negative but isn't a more pragmatic modern approach where simultaneous approaches are employed what's required did you see sven's uh yeah interview?
0: i saw that where you know he he basically said that uh we were moving away from a data-driven model when it comes to our transfer business, right? Mm. Um, I mean...
1: Well, let's let's be clear. So, like, you know, when I did GCSE history, the first thing they teach you is you've got to look at your source. So is there a potential uh, bias or spin on this? And you have to say, yes, of course there is.
0: Yes, there is. I mean, look, it's a bit like the... The Dick Law interviews uh, that that uh, came out recently with Charles Watts, mm. um, you know, if you were to take everything Dick Law said at face value, uh, it would be very hard to tally that with some of the um, some of the stuff that went on. Uh, at the football club, in terms of transfers and and everything else, you know, maybe Dick Law wasn't as bad as we all thought he was, and you know, from <laughs> I think that might well be the case, um, but maybe he wasn't quite as good as he said he was in those interviews. Like everything seemed to have like a perfectly reasonable, rational explanation, um, but I, I I think it was maybe sugaring. Um, some of those situations. And I guess, to an extent, that's what Sven Mislintat has done in in his interview. Um, Is it it that we've moved completely and utterly away from data-driven transfers uh, or, or using data to identify our targets? If that's the case, that would be really, really worrying. However, I think we know... Uh, that stat DNA is very much embedded within the club. You know, Arsenal bought stat DNA. They have, um, they have an influence over what we do. Um, there is unquestionably data being used at all levels of the football club uh, when it comes to fitness and, and that kind of stuff. And you have to imagine that stat DNA will have an influence on some of the, the transfer targets that we have. Um, the other side of that is that we can think of players who were identified to us um, by StatDNA, or, or certainly players who we think were identified by StatDNA, and they include Gabriel, they include El um Granite Mustafi. You know, so a data, the data hasn't always worked in our favor. It would be fair to say. I, I can't believe. I find it very hard to believe that that our recruitment is just going to be down to a couple of guys and who do you know and who have you got available? Yeah, we'll take him. That doesn't seem like well, a, a sensible way of doing transfer business at all in this in this modern era. It, it can't just be like, you know, we're going to meet round the back of the petrol station the way transfers used to happen and, you know, handshake and off you go. So, no. I'm a, I'm a little bit dubious about it. That's all.
1: Yeah, it, it, I am too. And when you look at the business that we have done so far this summer, you know we've plucked a, a, an 18-year-old forward from the Brazilian regional league. We appear to have tied up a deal for a, a teenage centre half in Liga. They don't feel like Raúl ringing his old mates. Do you know what I mean? And saying, yeah. "Who can you give me?" Now listen on the other side of the coin we do appear to be doing some of that you know if this Danny Ceballos thing comes to pass I'm sure that that will be something that's slightly hinges on some of Raul's connections in Spain but that's not necessarily a bad thing you know I mean in the case of Denis Suarez it didn't work out but if we get a good player for a year who's fit and can contribute on loan then I think we'll all be pretty grateful and likewise if something happens with say Malcolm from Barcelona sure um, there are two different approaches here. and I mean, essentially, what it sounds like to me is that when Ivan Gazidis left, there was a bit of a power struggle, and it's one that Raúl effectively
0: won. Well, I mean, he did say, didn't he, Mislintat, I was promised the job of technical director. Yeah. So, you know, that's where the relationship broke down, I think, much more than the approach to doing transfer business. It's just my read on that situation. So... Yeah, uh, we'll wait and see. Here's a here's one from Lucas Isberg. Who's at Lucas Isberg, who says, "Could the absence of outgoing transfers be explained by the fact our transfer window for sales lasts longer than for new signings?"
1: Ye- well, outside of England, that is. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Um, potentially, I always worry about that because I sort of feel like if, let's say, you bring a load of players in and then you need to move some on after the incoming deadline is passed. Do you leave yourself in a position where clubs are going to say, well, look, this is my final offer. You can take it or leave yeah. it. There's not going to be an English club coming in to to double the money or anything like that. I, I wonder if it makes you slightly vulnerable and isn't the best way to strike a deal. Uh, mm. But I suppose it does provide some hope in that, you know, if we get everything done in time, we can slightly balance the books and shift one or two you know even if it is on loan and it just rebalances the squad somewhat and reduces the, the salary bill that could be a good thing it's i suppose it just feels like the money a lot of the money is in england so selling within england would be great i mean i can imagine an english club say paying much more for a than you might get out of the bundesliga or serie a you know
0: yeah look i think we're we're in a situation where many of the players
1: we want to sell
0: or move on are kind of damaged goods anyway yeah and we're in a situation where basically we might just have to take whatever we can get for them assuming that you know we've got enough depth to cover them um yeah look it does make it a little bit more uh difficult uh and it does put you in a difficult position as a as a selling club but yeah i don't know we're just going to have to. That, that's the market that we exist in, and we're going to have to, you know, work within the, the the confines and restrictions of of that market. Um, yeah. It might also be a case that, let's say, we we sign a central defender, and you know, it, it puts Mustafi a little bit further away from the first team. Uh, that also plays a part because you know people know we probably want to sell him, so. That's just that's just the reality of that of that situation. You can't play hardball in that in no. that in that scenario. So
1: you know we're not great sellers at the best of times. We are not. When, when there's a limited market in terms of who can buy, yeah, I do worry about what sort of fees we might be able to extract from players mm. at that point. But I'm sure a couple will leave after that deadline. It seems yeah. absolutely inevitable. Um, this question's from the Discord. It's from Pav. It's a player we've touched on a couple of times in preseason. Pav says. Bielik, WTF, the man does great on loan and internationally. We have a big gap exactly where he plays. What could be going on behind the scenes? Why are we pushing him out? Uh, That's a good question and
0: one I don't have an answer to. And maybe if I get a chance over the next couple of days, I can ask Unai Emery about that. There was an interesting quote, wasn't there, from Saka where, where he said... Something along the lines of, you know, Unai Emery doesn't really talk to us directly. It's Freddie mm, who's mm. who's providing that transition into the first team squad. So I wonder who is making the decision about Christian Bielik. I think we have to accept that the football club and the staff at the football club have more information on him than we do in terms of how they're they're assessing him and and their their opinion of his abilities and his readiness to play first team football for Arsenal. We can watch him play well for Charlton and he did mm-hmm. do very well for Charlton, but that was in League 1. We watched him play very well in the European Under-21 Championships, again though that's, you know, against Under-21 players. So there there are some caveats to that. I look at him and I see a player who is physically the right kind of player for mm-hmm. the Premier League. Um, at centre-half, I don't see him in midfield. I think, you know, he he is a very tidy footballer, but maybe um, not quite nippy enough in the Premier League to play as a, a central midfield player. So mm-hmm. I would see him as a central defender. That then means, uh, for me and for a lot of people, like, I'm sort of in... Anywhere or anyone but Mustafi territory right now, in terms of what I wanted center half for Arsenal next season, so Bielik is not Mustafi, therefore he 's a prime candidate to play first team football, right mm. um, but I also think that Arsenal will know uh, the the staff and the coaches and the, the everyone else, the technical staff will know a lot more about Bialik. so their decision making probably isn 't the same as as ours. The, what's driving it isn't quite, well, he's just not Mustafi. Therefore, you know, he's better. Let's give him a go. So the only thing I can think of is that based on their assessment and their information of Bielik as a player and, and the way they see his potential is that he's not quite, he's not, either not ready yet or he's
1: not quite good enough. Uh, he- so that, that's that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I mean, I think there must be a disconnect between what the player wants and what the club wants. You know, I, Felix played a whole season out on loan and I think a lot of footballers... Uh, it's not like Reese Nelson where he was, you know, a fringe player. He played every week for Charlton and was part of a successful team uh, in League One, admittedly. Uh, they get that taste for first-team football and they don't want to go back to playing every six weeks or only playing under 23 games. I, I think this might be driven in part by the player saying... Look, I want to play. And Arsenal's saying, well, you know, you're a good prospect, but you're not going to play every game here. You might play the Europa League games or something like that. And maybe he feels I'm better than that. Um, and it, maybe there's just a bit of a disparity between how the club view him and how he views himself. But I, I, from what I've seen, my untrained eye thinks he has all the tools. And I am a bit confused by selling him. I hope if we do we get a decent deal or we extract some sort of sell-on or buyback. We can arrange something which kind of covers us financially because he's a player we spent a fair bit of money on when he was 16 years old. There was talk of a fee of, you know, a million and a half pounds or something like that. So, Mm. you know, you want to make some profit on that. And the other thing I would just say about him is that as much as he does look great to me in the clips I've seen and the bits I've seen of him, maybe there's something a little bit akin to the J. Emanuel Thomas effect, where you've got a guy who's come through you football, who's always been about a foot taller than his opponent, <laughs> <and> so <laughs> much more physically powerful that he sort of can't help but catch the eye. And he has a certain advantage at that level that maybe, you know, in, amidst the athleticism of the Premier League, might level out a bit and might not necessarily see him cut it at that, at that height of the game. And also we talked about Freddie and his input I think a player freddie really rates and one the manager does too is Zach medley who's six foot five himself i believe and you know a pretty elegant ball playing center half too and maybe there's just an element of we've got william saliba possibly in the bag coming in in 12 months time we've got rob holding we've got callum chambers and we want to ensure medley's path isn't too blocked so that could also uh, be a factor in any decision
0: yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point as well. Um, Medley is a is uh is a big guy. He's a yeah. big guy. <laughs> I walked past him in in Los Angeles, and he's like, "Whoa, okay." And, he, and you know, again, he's he's still quite young, isn't he? He's only seventeen, eighteen, I think. Yeah, I'll have a look now. Zach you have Medley. a look and tell me because I can't type he, stuff. This month, a
1: couple of weeks ago. 19. Say again, you
0: just broke up there. Oh, sorry. He was nineteen a couple of weeks ago. Nineteen a couple of weeks ago. So you know he's still at an age where he's gonna he's gonna fill out over the next couple of years as well. So he's gonna be a fucking hell of a unit when he does that. So maybe there is some um, some belief that he could be he could be part of uh, part of the things. But uh, you know, again, going into the going into the uh, the season. Uh, I do feel still like we badly need to address the the central defensive side of our of our squad. Um, Callum Chambers. I mean, what? I had a question here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, Bum Why can't I find anything here? Uh, one second. I'm going to get there. Yeah, so it's from Sam Manton, Sam Manton 14. Uh, and he says, with Kashelny leaving, I think there's a widespread acceptance now, isn't there, that Kashelny's basically going to go. Um, and Saliba going back on loan, if we sign him, as well as Holding being out for the start of the season, do you think Chambers will be called upon to be our starting centre-back? Like at this point, would you prefer to see Socrates and Chambers or Socrates and Mustafi?
1: I'd prefer Socrates and Chambers, probably. Um, Even though, I mean, Chambers, people have said rightfully so that he was Fulham's Player of the Year last season, but that was playing in central midfield. And when he played at the back for them in the first few weeks of the season, admittedly, they were not a good team, but he had a bit of a nightmare. Um, But I think I would probably opt for him. I mean, I'm still sort of crossing all my fingers that Rob Holding's miraculous recovery Uh, continues because he is ahead of schedule isn't he uh, it's very close that first game now
0: yeah you've got to be sensible though as well with holding there's no point rushing him back there's no point uh, risking aggravating the injury by bringing him back a bit too soon because you haven't been decisive enough in the transfer market true Um, I do wonder as well maybe if part of why Things have been quiet. We haven't really been linked with any central defenders apart from uh, apart from Saliba. I do wonder if what they think of Rob Holding is having an impact on that. So they mm. don't, you know. Going back to the question about, you know, d- does signing Zaha kill uh, Reese Nelson? If you make a signing, does it impinge on the? The, the pathway to first-team football that Unai Emery perhaps wants for Rob Holding.
1: Yeah, maybe they're looking at Holding and Sokratis and saying, look, that's going to be our central defensive partnership for the majority of the season. And if we have to make do and mend for the first few weeks, so be it. I can understand that. I can understand that. We know Emery really likes Holding. I suppose the only test will be, I think, Hold- I think Arsenal have always been in a back three to my mind anyway. Mm. Um, certainly in the run in 2017 to the FA Cup final and then uh, for a good chunk of last season he was playing on the left of that back three. So it'll be interesting to see when he is fit how how he slots into the four and how he deals with that.
0: Mm. Okay.
1: Um, this question. Oh, I'm intrigued to ask this because I haven't really seen the press conferences myself. The Lemming on Twitter uh, says at what point does Emery protest at not having the backing of the club In the transfer market, Uh, and I I just sort of secondary to that. Did you sense any touchiness from him on that issue? Or the club still presenting a united front?
0: I was really curious to see what he would say about transfers. Um, He hasn't been, to my mind, anyway. He hasn't appeared to be worried too much about lack of transfer business. So when he's asked about transfers, he talks about uh, the young players that we've got on the tour and how it's important to give them opportunities. But he has made it clear that we need to bring in players. He talked about three or four players last week at some point. Uh, You know, he wanted to bring in expensive players. He -hmm. wanted to bring in big players who can help us next season, but in terms of his uh, general mood towards transfers and the general mood around the tour when it comes to things like that, I get the sense that they're quite relaxed. Whether that's good or bad, I, I can't say. Is it, is it a case that they, they're confident of getting the deals that they want to get done done? Even Josh Cronkey didn't he? He said, we should be excited about potential transfers. So mm-hmm. maybe there's a sense that yes, we we do have our targets. We're confident of getting the targets. I think Emery a couple of times has said, look, we have our we have our first choice, and then you know we're trying. I think they're they they obviously have a list of players that they want. So in this position they want this is the number 1 target, number 2 target, number 3 target, number 4 target whatever it might be. I don't know how far down it goes in terms of alternatives. So if we can't get Zaha, maybe Suarez, Everton is the the guy that we we want to bring in or Malcolm is the guy that we want to bring in. So my my reading of of that situation and what what Emery has said is that they're really focusing on those first choice targets at this mm. moment in time. And those deals might be a little bit more complicated than the other ones. And I guess there's there's a cutoff point, you know, where they say, OK, well, look, it's not happening with our number one target. It's time to go down the list. So my 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 understanding is that they're focusing very much on their number one targets um, and and trying to get those deals across the line. So it it seems that Zaha is the number one target for the wide player. It seems that Kieran Tierney is the number one target for left-back. And as we know, both Palace and Celtic are not making it easy for us to sign those players. Nevertheless, at this moment in time, we were persisting. Uh, you know uh, from what you said made a a better offer for Zaha so I think that's where we are I think that's where we are and that's why nothing has been happening because the focus is on those number one targets as we get closer to the deadline and as the first game of the season draws around there there'll have to be a a slight shift in, in how we approach the deals that we want to get done so that's where that's where I am
1: Yeah, I guess maybe that relaxation comes from the fact that they feel they might feel they have the players agreement, particularly in those two cases. They might feel that, you know, the player would be happy to come in the case of Zaha would really want to come. Uh, And they're just going to sort of push it as much as they can with the transfer fee and try and get the, the deal they can get. Yeah. And yeah, you would think, you know, a week before the end of the window at some point you have to go, Okay, well, that hasn't happened we've got to pursue other targets but uh, in some ways in some ways i kind of think it's right that if you've got that number one target in mind that you that you try and make it happen but as you say that has to be a cutoff point
0: somehow. yeah there really does uh okay let's do let's do one more uh because i've got to go do an event this morning which is why we're recording really early over here cool um oh god i don't know what it is I can't find a question. Have you got another question there?
1: I've got a quick one, which okay. is from um, Brian Boyle, Brian M Boyle on Twitter. Brian says, "Is the supposed pressing style evident on the preseason tour, or has that been forgotten about?"
0: Um, it certainly wasn't evident against Fiorentina, but I think mostly because it was so Eight. hot. Yeah. yeah, they had like um, they had water breaks uh, every fifteen minutes because it was just so hot on that pitch. So I don't think anybody was gonna press. Against Byron. maybe, but there isn't, you know, I think when we talk about pressing, people have this idea that like, there's this coordinated, almost balletic, you know, synchronized movement where the whole team squeezes and, and you know, it's like a living, breathing, 11-man organi- organism, which, um, you know, closes down the opposition. It doesn't really happen like that. I see, you know, there was elements of it in in the in the Bayern game. Certainly Aubameyang was uh, you know, snapping at uh, some of the defenders and what have you. But as a collective kind of thing, I don't I don't really think we've seen too much of it. Um and I'm not sure I'm I'm not sure that it's uh what we all thought it was going to be do you know what I mean when we when we talked uh, about this at the start of last season we sort of had this idea of this relentless press you know when Cropness. Barcelona lose yeah, yeah you know when Barcelona lose the ball and immediately they, they swarm around the opposition they get the ball back I don't know that that's what we're doing or what we're going to do um, no it's
1: a classic case of somehow losing Unai Emery in translation I suspect yeah um, The only thing relevant to this I had heard is that people who watched the uh, Colorado game, was it, on the the 1st preseason friendly, told me that Martinelli uh, was quite good at pressing. He he was quite good at shuttle sprints and closing people down, um, which is encouraging, I guess, in terms of him as a player so far. But that's Mm. the only thing I'd heard sort of referring to the pressing.
0: We might see a bit more. I don't think it's going to be quite as uh, hot. I'm just going to look at the... uh going to look at the weather for tomorrow when we're playing uh real madrid here uh so at the moment it's okay it's getting up to like 34 degrees today yikes but tomorrow tomorrow it looks like it's going to be slightly cooler maybe around 26 27 with a bit of rain actually um, so maybe the conditions might allow for a bit more of a physical game, and because we're playing uh, Real Madrid, I think the way they've they've uh, decided on the teams or the team selections—you know—we went fairly strong against Bayern Munich. A lot of kids against Fiorentina, and the big guns came on in the second half. Aubameyang didn't even play against Fiorentina because he was feeling, uh, you know, a bit of a knock. Um, they want him to be ready for the game against Real Madrid and I think we'll mm. play a, a, a strong fairly senior team against Real Madrid so maybe the conditions there will allow for a bit of that but uh, we'll have to wait and see
1: yeah I, uh, I, I'd i be surprised to be honest I, I feel like you're right when we when we think of what pressing is I think our idea of it is somewhat different to Unai Emery so I think yeah. that's partly what creates the confusion
0: alrighty Uh, okay look we're going to have to leave it there but as ever thank you very much indeed uh, to everyone for listening again a big thanks to everyone I met over the weekend in Charlotte it was an absolute pleasure to hang out and and meet so many Arsenal fans and to to chat about the club and also to chat about the work we do here on the podcast and on the website as well so thank you uh, all for listening and reading and and everything else Um, I'm I'm glad they got to see a a fantastic uh, win for Arsenal uh, at the Mm. Bank of America Stadium. Um, you know, it was thirty five thousand uh fans in that stadium, thirty four thousand nine hundred and ninety five of them were, were Arsenal fans, so it was great and everybody I spoke to, you know, a lot of people it was their first time. Uh, seeing the club and maybe their only time that they're going to see the club live so it was great that we got a win Um, we will have a podcast of some description or other on Friday Um, so stick with us for that again patreon.com forward slash Arsbog for more thoughts and uh, behind the scenes stuff from the US tour Uh, and we will catch you on the next one until then bye bye